Today for Tech Transforms, we have a special treat. Willie Hicks, Dynatrace's federal chief technologist, appeared on the Federal Tech Podcast with John Gilroy. It is such a great interview. We wanted to make sure our Tech Transforms audience got a listen. So enjoy this crossover episode with Federal Tech Podcast. This is John Gilroy from the Federal Tech Podcast. And this is Willie Hicks from Dynatrace. Today, we're going to talk about observability and federal technology. Hit the music, Claude. Welcome to the Federal Tech Podcast, where industry leaders share insights on innovation with a focus on reducing cost and improving security for federal technology. If you like the Federal Tech Podcast, please support us by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Federal Tech Podcast. My name is John Gilroy, and I will be your moderator. Everybody wants to know what's going on. They want to have visibility into their networks. So does the federal government. So today, we're going to maybe chop it up into small little pieces. We're going to talk about hybrid networks, network visibility for federal information technology. We're going to drill down to some specific suggestions made by an organization called CISA. And hopefully, in 30 minutes when you're done, you'll walk away with some, some at least some concepts about observability, what companies can help and what SIS is doing to help our listeners maybe understand a little bit better. But first, I have to introduce my guest. He is Willie Hicks, federal CTO from a company called Dynatrace, D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-C-E. Willie, how are you? Doing well and great to be here. Well, we set the stage. Now we got to do the hard part. <laughs> it's always the easy part, you know. You know, during COVID, everyone's online and and in order to handle that, they didn't have much staff, so they switched everything to the cloud, the hybrid yep. cloud, public cloud, private cloud. And um, what's happened is some people are looking at it and going, well, we're vulnerable because a lot of these situations weren't as um, carefully uh, vetted as they should have been. And, and maybe it introduced vulnerabilities in the systems that could not have been there if they're more careful. But we survived COVID, and now we have to consider the whole idea of looking at vulnerabilities. And uh, maybe for the benefit of our audience, you give us just a little 20-second uh, nutshell description of Dynatrace and, and the topic we're going to talk about today. Yeah, okay. And, and well, first, let me just say it's, a, again, a pleasure to be here uh, again with you. This is my second time. And um, so Dynatrace, we are um, an observability company. And what that means is, is that we provide agencies with the ability to understand their applications, their, um, their application landscapes, their software, and to understand um, it from what we call the full stack standpoint. So from the end user all the way to the desktop, all the way to the database. And that allows uh, users in, and uh, agencies to get unprecedented insight into their security posture, their uh, application performance, how uh, their um, users are interacting with the applications and so forth. So it really, all of this is tied together with AI. And so it's all kind of predicated on this idea of automation. So we try to do this super simple and make it as easy as possible for our customers. So Dynatrace, we could have this conversation walking down the streets in St. Louis <laughs> because mm -hmm. big companies have problems with observability. And uh, we can do this, uh, you know, in, in Rio de Janeiro. Everyone seems to talk about this. So let's drill down and uh, let's talk about how companies fail, how organizations typically fail with this whole concept of observability. Well, uh, when, when I think about how 
companies fail, I, I think about it from a, a couple of vantage points. Um, what I see with with agencies, what I see with companies, they try to do it themselves. Kind of they take the DIY approach. They try to, you know, stitch together multiple tools. So, and this is this is kind of, uh, this is typical in, in many agencies where you've got this, the, this tool debt. You've got a lot of tools out there um, for collecting logs, for like collecting metrics. You now got the cloud. So, you're bringing in metrics from the cloud. And so for observability to work, you've got to have all of these data sources kind of, you know, combined all this data into, you know, they call it a lot of things now, data lake houses, data lakes and so forth. But you've got to be able to collect this data to um, uh, understand this data, to analyze this data efficiently. And what I see a lot of times is agencies, they try to do it themselves. They sometimes then throw in the middle, maybe a correlation engine or some way, and then they'll throw some dashboards on, on, on top of that. And ultimately what they find themselves doing is just still back in the war room, trying to figure out with, how to solve a problem. Um, and sometimes I also see the, the kind of the opposite of that where, uh, they're not bringing in multiple tools, but maybe they're focused on one, just logs. They're just maybe scraping logs. Um, they're just trying to use that to, to understand not just, you know, their security posture, but performance. And when there are problems, they're always digging through logs to try to figure that out. And, and honestly, those methods, especially as environments have become more and more complex, they just don't work anymore. So we got a big problem here. A lot of people in the cloud, a lot of people in observability. It's true with companies. It's true in federal agencies. Okay, okay. So uh, Dynatrace can help companies with a platform that makes it easier and saves them money to have this good observability into what's going on in the system. But right. this uh, this whole problem of what's going on is not just isolated to the commercial world. I mean, the federal government recognizes it. In fact, CISA, just in November last month, they came up with a binding operational directive saying, hey, Hey, Willie, we, we know we know what you're going through, buddy. And, and here's right. a few ways we can help the suggestions. Right. And, and this has been a kind of a big deal in the industry as far as data management. And it's, it's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a huge deal. And, you know, what CISA came out with, so, so this is, uh, so what CISA is talking about here from uh, this binding operational directive around um, vulnerability management, third-party vulnerabilities, very, very important. Um, it's a subset, it's a part of the observability landscape. So this is something we need to, obviously always have our eyes on. And and that is, you know, and a lot of this came from, you know, you may have heard of this thing called Log4J. Um, and I think probably everybody in the country at some point has heard about Log4J. And a lot of the vulnerabilities that have, um, have, Prop, uh, you know, really appear not just not just in the last few years. It's, this has been going on forever, but it's becoming more and more evident to, um, uh, I think, the general populace that um, you know cyber criminals are taking advantage and exploiting, you know, um, weaknesses in the system. And a lot of those weaknesses are introduced through open source, through vulnerabilities. I'm not saying open source is a bad thing. It's a fantastic thing. But the, the problem is a lot of times what we see with agencies, what we see with our commercial customers is they get hit by vulnerabilities that are well known. Um, and so, you know, you've got these known exploits, you've got these known um, um, uh, vectors into your application, but they're not patched. And um, so this is where CISA is really kind of um, kind of I, I should say put the hammer down, but really saying that we have got to do a better job at vulnerability management. We've got to do a better job at continuously monitoring for those vulnerabilities and remediating those because I mean. It, 
honestly, I, I think of this as low hanging fruit. If there's a known vulnerability out there, it should be patched. It should be, you know, isolated. And we should make sure that, you know, we are closing off all the avenues uh, to our adversaries and to, to, um, uh, cyber criminals and so forth. So they can't um, have, you know, they can't attack our systems. Now, granted, it, it's kind of a cold war. There's going to always be this back and forth. We close one door, they're going to try to find another one, but we've got to make sure we keep on top of these, if that makes sense. Dateline, November 10th, 2022. CISA, got it right in front of me, transforming the vulnerability management landscape. And so I want to, I want this to be an interview that'll appeal to people who are novices and pretty sophisticated at it. But, but to paint the picture is that over the years, uh, CIS has come up with known vulnerabilities. We know that. I think it's a KVE or something. So, and so uh, an agency can go out on their own and say, well, this software package I'm buying doesn't have any known vulnerabilities. And I think the way NIST and other organizations have structured is that the burden is put on the agency to figure it out. And I think when I read this, transforming the vulnerability, man- well, I see the transformation going, it, the onus is going off of our poor overworked govies to the vendors and saying, hey, vendors, you, you got to j- jump in on this and help us. Is that a good summary of this document? So so I think that's a, that's a good. So th- you're, you're talking about uh, this, this excellent um, blog that was uh, released by, I think, Eric Goldstein. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, and I think you're right, you are 100 percent right that um, this needs to be a public private partnership. I know that's kind of always talked about and maybe overplayed, but this this truly needs to be where industry, um, where vendors are are really stepping up and providing, you know, um, being able to interface with things like, you know, the, the, you mentioned the, uh, um, the vulnerability exchange or the, the, and the KEV, I think it's the KEV, the known exploited vulnerabilities catalog. So yeah. there are these catalogs, there are these databases, they, they, you're right, CISA, um, and other organizations, we, they always are keeping these, these CVEs and these, these vulnerability, um, and exploit, uh, definitions up to date. As soon as they come out, they go into these databases, they go into these repositories for, you know, and really for one main purpose is, well, obviously they're out there, they're known, but then they can be automated. So you you have to have, um, I think a key part of this uh, um, article was also um, how we achieve automation by um, publishing these these advisories in a common framework. So I think they called it the uh, Common Security Advisory Framework or, or CSAF. So, you know, being able to publish these in machine-readable format so we can automate, so we can, you know, automate uh, the, re- um, the scanning, the remediation, all those other capabilities. And I think where industry really needs to play a part in this alongside all of these other um, uh, topics, but uh, there's there's something we haven't mentioned yet. Um, it's it's a part of it, um, but being able to deliver S bombs uh, or what we what we call as an S bomb is a um, uh, basically a bill of materials, a software bill of materials. So industry, when when I deliver, when Donatrace delivers software, I should deliver a full account, a full account, a full bill of materials of everything that goes into that software, every piece of um, third party software, every open source, you know instance, whatever might be in there, because this also needs to be in a kind of in that machine readable format. So when agencies run into another log for J, they can quickly scan and say, okay, all of the, these are all the soft, this is all the soft we, we have in house. 
these are all the vulnerabilities. This is what we need to go and remediate. We we shouldn't be just like with Law4J. I remember when it happened. I remember meeting after meeting being canceled because everybody's off, you know, trying to isolate what systems we have out there that have Law4J. So it was all hands on deck. We have to make this better. We have to be quicker at this because the longer it takes, the longer we're exposed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I come from a humble background, a blue collar background. I had neighbors who were factory workers and refrigerator repairmen and longshoremen. And mm-hmm. I, I never forget that. How you doing? Oh, I'm overworked and underpaid. <laughs> this was a blue collar lament. 40 hours a week going to a factory, overworked and underpaid. That phrase may apply to the federal government. And I think a lot of federal systems managers are going crazy. They're understaffed. They have a tremendous amount of work to do. And, right. and and really what I view this as is transforming the vulnerability. It helps them manage their vulnerabilities better. It, I mean, they're overwhelmed. They have they have to do something. I think automation is going to be the key to this. They have to automate. It's just it's just a whack-a-mole with that's 20 feet long. You're running and hitting the moles and you're not getting them. So I think this is a, another key yeah. aspect of it. I think it's is having observability, what's on your system, know the vulnerability, the weaknesses on there. But also this is going to help, you know, our 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 people keep safe. Yeah. John, you're you're exactly right. And I I come from a, a similar upbringing. Granted, I, I'm a little bit further south my my father was uh was a landscaper and and I worked with him um and then he owned a little side business and things like that but you know um all same thing overworked underpaid and <laughs> and I see that with um I, I see that in the federal government and on top of that you know I I am always you know proud of the work we do at Donna Trace and the work I do for the federal government because um you know often these people often these um these uh civil servants are like you said underpaid but also and overworked but also they're doing this out of sense of patriotism they're obviously not doing it for the money they're not doing this to you know for fame and so you know I think it's our our duty to find ways to help um, uh, augment their work. You know, I think with automation, with AI, um, I'm never talking about replacing people. I'm never talking about replacing um, uh, the the security operations um, um, centers. I'm not talking about replacing um, the knock workers. I'm always talking about augmenting um, their capabilities and observability um, does that. It, it helps um, bring in all of these, you know, millions, sometimes billions of data points, but on top of that layer, artificial intelligence, AI. So you don't have to um, spend hours sorting through data, sorting through logs, sorting through vulnerabilities, sorting through all of the security information. You can actually isolate where the problem is, isolate the root cause, sometimes automatically remediate it. And then, you know, if you if you trust your AI to do that, um, but at, at the bare minimum, you can then take that data and instead of spending hours and hours sorting through this yourself, take a few minutes and then you can move on to your 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 actual key tasks, the things you should be working on. And and prioritize, too, because everything doesn't have the same value. You know, the military guys say if you defend everything, you defend nothing. It's an old military adage from 500 years ago. Same is true. I mean, what if, let's say, system A, Gilroy software has got the vulnerability and your agency doesn't use Gilroy software? Well, right. I, mean, I mean, you don't have to worry about it, do you? I mean, you can prioritize where the 
few right. hours, the 40 hours a week you're in there, you can prioritize and go to the right system. Maybe the Hicks system's got a vulnerability and you happen to use the Hicks system. Okay, right. forget about Gilroy. I mean, the whole idea of prioritizing, I mean, how else can you be efficient with the limited time that we have? You you are um, so right in that. And and prioritization, especially, you know, in any of these cases with, with performance issues, with security vulnerabilities, um, especially when you have a major, kind of going back to Log4j, when you have a major outage, when you have a major vulnerability, a major uh, uh, um, issue that you need to resolve, you need to find those most vulnerable systems. You need to find the ones that are the, you know, you know, with Log4j, you know, everything was a level 10, you know, we got to get everything remediated. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I should focus first on those top 20%, 40%, whatever it might be, 50% of systems that might be forward-facing. They might be constituent-facing. They might have access to the internet. They might have sensitive um, or confidential or, or um, uh, secret data sets, data sets that I need to protect. Those are the ones I need to, to um, focus on first. There might be 20 or 30% of those that get law for J's on the system, it's not actually even being used. It, it's in a dormant, you know, um, um, module not being used. I can handle that later. So to your point, uh, being able to um, to actually quickly isolate that and prioritize completely, um, that, that is, is, is completely right. And using another uh, military idea, mm-hmm. situational awareness is, is another kind of key part of this. And that's, what, I think, what we're talking about. Um, th- this idea that, you know, in the, you know, the military's, you know, this is kind of one of their mindsets, being able, knowing their environment, knowing the environment that they're working in, knowing all of having as many data points as they ha- can, because this is how they make decisions. This is how they make really quick tactical decisions is because they have, you know, the best information they can have at a given time. Um, I think it should be the same way with our systems. You should have as much and the best data that you can have to make those decisions and to make them quickly so you can isolate problems and move on. Well, if you enjoy this conversation, you may want to listen to an episode, episode number 32 I did it with a guy named Dr. Stephen McGill from SunType. He talked about the SBOM, you know, about the software bill of materials. And, mm-hmm. and that gives you just a different flavor, different aspect on it. Um, I'm going to turn the tables here. And uh, instead of uh, examining, you know, the number of hours that a federal CIO puts in the office and doesn't, let's look at the vendors. And what one could read this like an attorney could read this and go, hmm, it looks like they're turning that spotlight to the vendors and saying, you know, the vendors are going to have some responsibility here for for telling the agencies they work with about known vulnerabilities or vulnerabilities in the system. Now, no one wants to talk about their dirty laundry. But, you know, I, I think that, that that's that's I think that's the case that's happening here. Right. It is critical. Um, yes, we don't, as industry, we don't want to expose ourselves like, you know, yes, we've got vulnerable um, um, modules in our software. Um, but uh, I think what everyone needs to realize, industry and agencies, is that, you know, this is the world we live in. Um, we, we all use open source. We're all using different types of, of, of different coding techniques and different um, ways. Now, we should be using very safe coding practices. We should be using the best practices out there. Um, but ultimately, um, things like this happen. And, and for I, I get a perfect example is Law4J. Almost 
every company out there was using it. Every agency, yep. it was everywhere. And you know, for and what we found out later is that this vulnerability had been there for years, but it, no one had discovered it. Yeah. So it, it just kind of proliferated. So we can't be, you know, industry can't be just held accountable if if no one knew. Now, if we knew and did nothing about it, now that's a whole nother story. Now, the I think where it becomes negligence is when you know when we. Um, when we try to hide things, when we try to cover it, when we try to, you know, protect our um, our interests by, you know, kind of, you know, um, not exposing that we had this problem. Well, we're putting agencies, you know, we're putting our commercial customers, we're putting everybody at risk and nobody wants to do that. So, you know, Mike, you know, at Donatrace, we are very open we we publish all of our vulnerabilities. We publish our timelines to remediate them. We're very open about that, and we we act upon these things quickly because they do happen. Um, one question that often comes up with S bombs, though, is that you know if we put out there kind of everything that you know everything that we that's used to make our products, so like all of our secrets. Well, we don't have to put you know down to the code level, but like all the modules, everything we're using, you know, then there's sometimes there are people ask, well, do we want our our competitors to get a hold of that do we there are ways for us to kind of control that but ultimately we need to do what's right for the country what's right for our customers and that means kind of you know honestly being open and about all of this Willie, i'm listening to you carefully taking notes and every time you say s-bomb you know i spent 25 years doing live radio i always avoided that s-bomb i'll tell you that much and never got in trouble with the fcc because of it so that's a lighthearted approach to s-bomb and well, i don't mention it I don't mention that going through the airport, but yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah you don't want to say that word either. <laughs> I'm an expert in what are you like? Uh, <laughs> hey, Willie, it's football season, and there's some silly team in town with a crazy name, and we all know that. And, and um, you know, when a defense uh, looks at, um, let's say, the Chicago Bears, they looks at and they say, oh, this is what they do then, and this is their tendency, and this is their tendency. and then they go to the game, and all of a sudden, they tossed it to the split end. I don't, it's a new play. And so my point is that there are known vulnerabilities. You know, you can scout a team. You know what they're going to play. Then there's unknown vulnerabilities. And so so this is one critique of that. I don't know if it's a fair critique or not. But we can say, well, you know, these are the known vulnerabilities. And, and so, so you think it's a fair critique or, or not a fair critique? No, that is a, a, a 100% a fair critique. And, um, you know, we we need to... You know, there there are kind of two ways I look at this. From the known standpoint, um, the known ones we should just be addressing. I mean that that we know them. Um, then we know they're out there. They should be addressed. They should be addressed quickly. The unknown that becomes a little bit more difficult, obviously, because they're unknown. So there have to be other approaches. Um, there has to be, and I think this is where um, you know you you start looking at your 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 different types of security tools, your seams, and all of the different types of tools you're using. That um, and this is where I, I'm obviously a big proponent for AI and, and machine learning and, and different types of approaches where, um, okay, so we don't know that there's a vulnerability out there, but there are probably heuristics and different things that we can, you know, we need to be analyzing for behavioral patterns, user behavioral patterns, um, um, machine behavioral patterns, you know, um, this is where, again, observability becomes key because understanding how machines normally should work, how, you know, what should I see from, you know, a CPU standpoint, from a memory standpoint, network communication, what's talking to what. Um, if I see, you know, something very, you know, very simple. 
Uh, this system might have been compromised. It is that is not a known vulnerability. I saw no scanning. I saw nothing. But all of a sudden, I started to see traffic that I never saw before, and it's very sporadic traffic. It looks like you know you got to be really you have to you have to look at almost every transaction because how this this you know system is working is sending just a little bit of data at a time. It's kind of almost trying to mask what it's doing. You need to be able to see those types. And I I don't claim to be a security expert. Um, I, I'm an expert in observability, and that's that's kind of key to I think observability, which I think is key to security. Being able to see the small changes, to be able to understand those um, small changes, and then to act upon them because you know. It might be a normal, you know, this might have been a code change and this activity is completely normal, but we need to analyze it. D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-C-E dot com. That's Dynatrace. No I in there is a Y. D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-C-E. Well, Simon Sinek wrote a book. He said, you got to start with why. <laughs> and I think we spent, you know, the first part of this discussion with the why. We did a lot of why. And now we got to transition to how. <laughs> and right. uh, when you talked about vulnerabilities, I think traditionally, the how was, let's say Gilroy Software would see a vulnerability, then I'd put up a PDF, and then maybe a federal CIA would go to my site and read the PDF and take action. And, you know, yeah, I guess technically, legally, yeah, I announced it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's buried, but it's a PDF somewhere. I, in the transition I see in this document is that, hey, let's use a technology. Let's make it machine readable and be able to be distributed in a more efficient manner than some PDFs at Gilroy.com that no one reads. I mean, this machine-readable capability really, really puts, you know, puts a lot of uh, muscle into this, doesn't it? A hundred percent. And, you know, um, uh, kind of the old way of doing this definitely was, you know, I go out, you know, monthly to a database. I go out right. and... Well, vulnerabilities are out there, you know, and, and over time, things got a little bit better. There's more automation and more. But now I think where, you know, and I look at it this way, too. I think that um, where where things are going is that um, I think industry, when they deliver new software, it should be just Every every piece of software needs to have that software bill of materials. It needs to be in a in a format, JSON format or whatever format is. Um, that uh, it will probably be JSON and you know whatever the standard is. That could then easily be translated into um, as part of the uh, the agency's automation process. So that's uploaded. And it's constantly just, you know, whatever, whenever there's a version change, whenever there's an update, there's a new S-bomb. So that's part of it. Then, you know, we're tied into also the uh, the known exploited vulnerability catalogs and we're tied into uh, the the uh, the different vulnerability databases. So we're, we're pulling these fees, these sources automatically. And you have whatever method you use, if you're using agents, if you're scanning, you're using, you know, scanning software once a week, once a month, they should, we should always be looking, we should always be observing. And when something changes, when something, you know, becomes anomalous, when it becomes, you know, is not where it should be, that should be flagged. And we should have an analyst or an AI algorithm that can actually quickly look at that, isolate, has, is this, does this look like it's been compromised? And then act upon it. Um, ultimately, I'm I'm really big on automation of that. You know, I believe that what we see commercially and from agency standpoints is that the the idea has always been, you know, um, kind of per- perimeter defense. You know, protecting you got your web application firewalls. You've got all your different perimeter um, tools that you know really try to prevent people um, from getting into the environment um, with COVID. 
what we saw is the perimeter actually extended out now to the home. So you got a whole nother aspect. So you you got to factor that in. I think that, you know, with observability, with this um, idea of kind of always monitoring, I say we pull the perimeter in even closer to the application. So there are a lot of um, platforms out there that can do um, uh basically runtime application protection. So while, you know, maybe having an agent at the application that's constantly monitoring it for performance and all these other things, but also do I see a command line attack, a, a SQL injection attack, a, 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 you know, a typical type of um, uh, a pattern that tells me that this application has been compromised? I should be able to stop it at the application. So I need to maybe tighten that perimeter up as well. So that's just another idea. Yeah, I think it's uh, all the people listening to this should take and and go to SIS and read this. I think it really uh, it puts a lot of the concepts we've been talking about, observability and the whole machine-readable language and software bill of materials and understand what you have. And it gives you the tools to actually accomplish some of the things they've been targeting. And, and I'm really glad uh, we had John talk about it. You've been listening to Federal Tech Podcast with John Gilroy. I'd like to thank my guest, Willie Hicks, Federal CTO, Dynatrace. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Federal Tech Podcast. If you like the Federal Tech Podcast, please support us by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.